You know, we have been in a series this year. We took a break in December, but uh, I wanted to finish up the year by going back and just reviewing for a second where we started. Our theme in 2021 was move. And it began back in about November of 2020. We were in John Micah's office, and several of us were just brainstorming. And we were talking about where we had been in that first year of COVID. I mean, COVID had just really ramped up. We had had to stop worship. We were like, you know, surely now with the vaccines coming out, we're going to be able to get beyond this. And so we talked about what's this year been like? And we put the word dark, despair, disoriented. And of course, we for some reason picked up on just D words. And so we just went through all of them, discouraged, uh, disconnected, disappointed, disaster, uh, deflated, uh, distracted. And then, of course, the word that became so prominent, distance. You know, be sure and practice social distancing. And, and so as we began the year, we thought, we want to move beyond that. And, of course, here we are in December of 2021, and guess what? It's still going on. I mean, Omicron is spreading across the country. We're hoping it's not as quite as bad as Delta was. And we're being urged to get our booster shots. June and I both got our boosters. As I tell people, I'm, I'm one of these guys who's right the opposite of most people. Most people live, live this way. I don't want to take any more medicine than I have to. I'm like, if you've got a pill for it, give it to me. Now, I mean, just bring it on. I think I inherited that from my mom. But mom believed in, you know, modern medicine, and she was like, hey, if they got a pill for it, take it. If they've got a shot for it, take it. And so, you know, I'm one of those people. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine the other day, and I said, did you notice one of the odd side effects of, of the COVID vaccine? And he said, no. I said, yeah, they've just discovered that it helps preachers preach better. At least I hope it does. We'll see if that's a side effect. But, you know, it's been a tough year, and we just simply called it move. Can we move beyond it? And we looked at how David moved in his life. We looked at how uh, Jesus moved in the lives of people he encountered. And then we looked at Romans as Paul talked about how do you move from fear through faith to freedom. And so that's kind of where we, we've gone this last year. And, and you know, I, I thought as I was looking at how do you finish up 2021, I thought about this question here. How do you move on when your world has radically changed? And I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about the way life changes naturally. I mean, you think about all the changes we experience. You know, we graduate from high school, or or your kids graduate from high school, or your grandkids graduate from high school. You know, I watched John, Mike, and Jennifer as Jack graduated from high school and took off to Harding. And let me tell you, John Micah was a basket case. He was. And he'll tell you that. Until he finally dropped him off at Harding. And I, I told June, I said, John Micah is back to being John Micah. You know, it's amazing what happens to get one of the kids out of the house, you know. Uh, I tell everybody, when I got ready to go to college, I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm off to college. And Dad said, good luck. And that was it. You know, dad was like, I don't have to buy as much food. I don't have to buy as many clothes. You know, my dad was quite happy to see. But graduation, big change in all of our lives for those who are going off. I think about weddings. I mean, we've had a lot of weddings. We've got a wedding coming up 
you know, this, later this week, William and Kate, I mean, uh, our youth minister is finally going to get married. And wow, what an exciting time, I know, in their lives. Birth of new babies. We've had a lot of new babies born in the church this year. We've got more on the way. And boy, when you think about a new baby coming into, you know, into the world, boy, doesn't that change your life in a very radical way? Think about changing jobs or losing jobs. We've had a lot of job turnover in the last year. Uh, I was just reading an article literally this week about those who are in the ministry who have just burned out. And they're like, I'm getting out. I've, I've, I've talked to those who are in the medical industry. Yesterday, or not yesterday, day before yesterday, I'm at the bank. And, and I'm waiting to talk to a teller. There's a lady right behind me who's a nurse in one of our hospitals. I didn't ask her which one. I'm just overhearing her conversation. And she said, yesterday was kind of a tough day. Five on my floor died. Three from COVID. She said, I've met an older gentleman there and he's got COVID and he's not going to make it. And every chance I get, I go by to see him, but I'm pretty sure when I get back, he'll be gone. And I think about those who work in the medical industry. And y'all, if you talk to any of them, they'll just tell you we're burned out. I mean, this has been just a horrible two years for those who are doctors and nurses and who, who take care of our health. And then we lose loved ones. Many of you have lost loved ones this year. And I know Blake and Angela experienced the loss of Angela's father just recently over Thanksgiving. Back in the summer, I had one of my great mentors who I loved so dearly, who, who I got to go and pray with right before he died. And I mean, what an inspiration he was to me, and, and now he's gone. And you know, those transitions are, are, are the tough ones, especially in the holiday season. And so how do you move on? When you go through something that's so radically changed your life. And then, of course, we've got New Year's coming up. And I don't know if you believe in New Year's resolutions. June and I do. At least we believe in making them. June's better at completing them than I am. But every New Year's Day, we go to, uh, uh, usually it's a place like IHOP or Waffle House, and, and we order breakfast, and then we sit down and we review the previous year. And we've got a, literally, notebooks of previous years in which we make individual goals. Here's my personal goals. Here's my spiritual goals. Here's my goals at church. Here's our goals financially. Here's our goals for retirement. Here's our goals for vacation. I mean, we just go through a huge list. And we sit there, and I drink coffee, and she drinks orange juice, and, and we just talk about what, you know, what do we want God to do for us this year. And then we look back, of course, and give thanksgiving for what God did last year. And it's always amazing to see all the things that God accomplished in our lives. And so I don't know what your tradition is, but life's going to be different in 2022 than it was this year. You can count on it. And so how do you get through those transitional periods? And as I thought about that, I thought about the Apostle Paul. We just came out of Romans here about three weeks ago. And Paul wrote a letter called 2 Timothy. And it's a letter that I think so oftentimes we don't read with the emotion that we need to read it with. Let, let me tell you, this last summer, when my mentor sent word that he wanted, he wanted me to come down and see him. And so I drove down to the nursing home he was at down in South Nashville, and, and I sat down beside a, by his bed. And he and I just began talking. And as we talked, he said, there's a couple of things I want to... I want to say to you. 
And among them was this request. He said, would you preach my funeral? I knew I always would. I mean, he and I had that kind of relationship. And I get choked up every time I think about it. But here's this brother that invested so much in me. And here he is coming to that last moment in his life, and he says, would you preach my funeral? And in so many ways, that's almost the letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. I want you to listen to the Passion Translation. I love the Passion Translation because it's truly filled with passion. And listen to the way they translate it. From Paul, an apostle of Jesus, the Messiah, appointed by God's pleasure to announce the wonderful promise of life found in Jesus, the anointed Messiah. And then look at those next three words, my beloved son. As far as we can tell, Paul never had any children. Perhaps he was engaged. I personally think he was. I personally think his conversion to Jesus is probably what ended that engagement. That's just my own opinion about it. But Paul developed relationships like a father and son relationship to these young preachers. And again, I can relate to that because of the mentors I've had in my life spiritually. And so he refers to Timothy as my beloved son. A young man that he had picked up as a teenager some 15 years earlier. And now here he is as he's looking at the end of his life. And he writes to him. And so you have to listen to these words. I pray for a greater release of God's grace, love, and total well-being. That's the word shalom or peace there in the Greek. To flow into your life from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't read that, but think about sitting beside the bed of my friend. And as I got ready to leave, I said, I want to pray with you. And I've never had anybody in hospice care to do this. He looked at me and he said, no, I want to pray with you. And he ends up praying one of the most amazing, beautiful, astonishing prayers I've ever heard in my life. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. And what Paul wants him to know is that, listen, my end is here. He knew it. I mean, when he had picked up Timothy so many years earlier, there was so much work for him to do. But now he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. That that beautiful image of the temple of where you would take in an offering of wine and the priest would take it and go up beside the altar and they would pour out that wine as a drink offering to God. And Paul says, I'm what's inside that cup now. I'm the one that's being poured out. And then look at the language. The time of my departure, he said, I know it's close. And you get that trifecta of beautiful phrases. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And let me tell you, as a gospel preacher, that's what you want said about you and your life. I would hope all of us would want that said about us. And so what Paul ends up doing in four little chapters is he says, can I tell you what I want you to know? Paul doesn't know if Timothy will make it to him. We'll see that at the end of the lesson. Paul doesn't know. This may be the last message he sends to this young man. But he says, I want you to know how you're going to make it once I'm gone. And let me tell you, for those of us who are preachers, Keith is here today. Keith, always good to see you. And and I remember when Keith was a young man. That was a long, long time ago, Keith. 
in a land far, far away called Henderson, Tennessee. And I, I remember when, when we were just young preachers at Freed Hardeman and, and we looked up to these older preachers that were so much a part of our lives and the, and, and, and the church's life. And now guess what? We're the old preachers. And here's Paul as he's, he knows that Timothy now is going to become the old preacher. He's the one who's going to take the mantle. And so he says, can I just tell you some things that I think will help you as you make this transition? He says, here's what happened to me at my first defense. Paul, if you go over to the end of Acts, Paul had gone to, to uh, Jerusalem. He had been arrested there. He had been put in prison in Caesarea. He had then been shipped to Rome. And there he appeared before Nero. Here he describes that experience. Notice the words, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. Now, you've got to appreciate the, the, the occasion. Nero is starting to kind of go out of his mind. Nero's been on the throne. He's starting to kind of go crazy. He's wanting to blame Christians for a lot of the problems he's experiencing in the empire. And everybody's scared to death of him. And yet Jesus has said, you're going to appear before Nero. And he does. And notice, but the Lord stood at my side, gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed in all Gentiles. In other words, all the way up to the emperor himself is going to hear the message. And Paul said, and I was delivered. I want you to know that, Timothy. Now, Timothy wasn't there. Timothy's out doing work somewhere Paul had sent him. It's not like Timothy had abandoned him. But the people there in Rome, they're scattering. They're scared to death of Nero. And I don't blame them. And so here's Paul, and he finally is let go. And as best we can tell, he makes one last journey. I mean, we don't know for sure. We, we can guess on this. A lot of people think he went to Spain. So he left Rome, went straight west, and preached in Spain. And there's some hint in church history that that happened. Can we prove it? No. But there's some hint of it. We do know that he headed from Spain, if he went there, to Crete an island in the eastern Mediterranean. That's where he left Titus. If you turn over to the book of Titus, he said, I left you in Crete. I want you to appoint elders in all these churches we've established. And so he had preached through the island of Crete, left Titus there, went up then to Ephesus. And that's where he left Timothy. First Timothy is written to Timothy while he's at Ephesus, trying to clean up some of the problems that had arisen there. We go on in 2 Timothy, and he says, And I went up to Macedonia, very likely Philippi, a church he had fallen in love with that had kind of become his sponsoring church after Antioch. And so he goes up there to, to Philippi, most likely. And then he goes down and he says, By the way, I went to Corinth. And then he just kind of, that ends it. We, we don't know what happened. Very likely he's arrested, he's carried back to Rome, and he knows this is the last hurrah. This is it. And so from Rome, he writes this letter, and here's what he says to this young man, Timothy. He says, number one, if you're going to survive transitions, don't forget. You need to remember where you came from. Paul begins by saying, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with their clear consciousness, night and day. I constantly remember. I remember you. I remember you in my prayers. And look at what he remembered. He says, I remember recalling your tears. Do you remember anybody's tears this past year? I do. 
I remember a lot of tears. I remember a lot of tears from year before this last year. Last year, I mean, 2020 uh, was, was a year of a lot of tears. And, and you know, those are tears that we can't forget. Now, we can't dwell on them, but we can't forget them. And then he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And, of course, he goes on to say, which was first in your mother, it was in your grandmother. And so the first thing Paul would say to all of us is, listen, as you move forward, don't forget the past. Remember it. But then the second thing he says is, and rekindle. I love what he says right here. He says, for this reason, I remind, there's that word remember, you to fan into flame that gift you have. And I love what he says next. It's the gift that you have through the laying on of my hands. Paul, at some point in time, had come up to this young man, Timothy, put his hands on him, and imparted some type of spiritual gift. We don't know what it was. I would like to think it's courage. Because one of the things you know about Paul writing to Timothy is that Timothy appears to have been a timid young man. Kind of shy, kind of quiet. Maybe because of some of the experiences he had encountered with Paul. And I don't know if God, if somehow God equipped him with a special amount of courage through Paul. We don't know. But Paul said, whatever it is, fan it into a flame. You know, as we said here this morning, God's gifted all of us. And if we're not careful, one of the problems we'll have is we'll serve God for a while, we'll get passionate for a while, and then all at once that passion begins to go away. And here's Paul saying, don't let it. I've heard of Christians who have said to me in the past, when I retired from work, I retired from church work just as well. I've had people tell me that. You don't retire from serving the Lord. You know, I think of Rodney down here. You know, Rodney, you're, you're what now, 65 years old? And still going gung-ho, full blast. Well, Rodney's a little older than that, Juanita's 65. But anyway, you know, you, preachers don't quit preaching. They may quit full-time work, Keith. But man, they keep preaching the word because it burns inside of them. It needs to burn whatever the gift is in you. It needs to keep burning. I love what Paul says in Romans 12. Again, this is from the Passion Translation. Be enthusiastic. Enthusiasm is one of those, one of those characteristics that spreads. Have you ever noticed that? You get around someone that's enthusiastic, you can't help but just kind of be enthusiastic yourself. Be enthusiastic in serving the Lord. Keeping your passion boiling hot. Now, sometimes hot's not good. June was cooking some Jiffy Pop popcorn. Y'all remember Jiffy Pop popcorn? You know, June has fond memories of a child eating Jiffy Pop popcorn. So she was giving some Jiffy Pop popcorn to our grandkids this last week. And my four-year-old grandson, as June is taking it off the stove to pour it into a bowl, decides to see if the stove is hot. And it was. He reached up, he touched it, he pulled his hand off, looked at June and said, I'm okay. And then he started crying. He wasn't okay at all. Now some things you don't want to touch that's hot. But let me tell you, passion and boiling hot fervor for God is something that God wants us to have. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. I love the language Paul uses there. Rekindle, and then remain grounded. I mean, that's one of the things that I appreciate so much. As he says, by the way, what you've heard from me, you keep as the pattern of sound teaching. 
One of the things we all need is a firm foundation. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you guard that good deposit that you've heard me preach. Jesus would put it this way in Matthew 7, 24. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man. I mean, one of the things we need to have if we're going to get through this life is a foundation of faith. A foundation of belief that, that gets us through both the good times and the tough times. Let me tell you, in those difficult times I've had in my life, it's always the Word of God that I've come back to. That foundation, that belief system. And let me tell you, when I stand with people at the grave of a loved one, I tell them it is our hope that sustains us in these moments. And that hope comes, of course, through Jesus Christ. We need to remain grounded. Number four, we need reliable people. That's one of the things Paul, as he's reflecting on Timothy, I love this language here. All the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, you need to entrust to reliable people. And of course, the point being is Paul had been reliable as a servant of God, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had picked Timothy, and Timothy had become this reliable young man that he could trust in. And now he's saying to Timothy, pass it on to the next generation. I've been going through a lot of old files of mine since my mentor passed away. And, and I'm, I've been finding old pictures. And I found an old picture of me when I was in the 10th grade. And I'm by a lot of my friends, and, and we're part of a young preacher's class. And, and the preacher in the church there in Ripley, Mississippi, where I grew up, he's standing there beside us. And, and of course, it's, it's mid-1970s. And I'm wearing a leisure suit. All right, y'all remember leisure suits? You know? I mean, I got the picture and immediately thought, I've got to Photoshop that out somehow. I don't know how. i got to get rid of the leisure suit. But you know, and, and, and there I am with my Bible in my hand. And I think about those who invested in me and how that we've got to invest now in the next generation. To those who are reliable. Why? Why is that so important to Paul? It's because of what you hear two chapters later. Listen to Paul as he shares this message. Do you best to come quickly for Demas? You go back and you read about Demas in the prison epistles. Demas, the guy who had Paul had picked up somewhere, and like Timothy, had become one of his students. And now here, as Paul is facing the end, he says, Demas, he's loved the world too much. More concerned about it than he is about me. And he's deserted me. That's why reliability is so important. And boy, I tell you, churches are built on reliable men and women who step up to the plate and who are willing to preach and teach and serve. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk right now, but maybe it's a time to say, I want to be that reliable person that the church and God can depend on again. I don't know of anything greater we need here as a church as we enter into 2022 than reliable people. And then, reject the nonsense. We see and hear more nonsense than any generation ever before us. And the way we see it and hear it is right here. You know, one of the things I do in the morning, when I first get up, is I look at the news. I want to know what's going on. But can I tell you, it ruins my mornings. I mean, when I get up and I begin to just scroll through what's going on in the world... I become so discouraged. 
I mean, the world is full of nonsense, it's full of evil, it's full of sin. I mean, and, and by the way, have y'all ever noticed that the news only tells you the bad stories? Y'all ever noticed that? It doesn't tell you anything good, you know? And, and Paul knew that that would be the case. He says, listen, the world is full of nonsense. He begins first with the church. Because Satan's trying to get the nonsense into the church. And he says, by the way, keep reminding God's people of these things and warn them before God against quarreling. By the way, what is quarreling? And let me tell you, I had a Ph.D. in quarreling when I was a young man. June will tell you that. I mean, I, I graduated, I, I may have had Rodney a double Ph.D. in quarreling. And of course, quarreling is where it's all about winning the argument. It's not about the truth. Truth is thrown off, you know, like the baby with the bathwater. It's all about, can I win this argument against you? And Paul saw that as so detrimental to the church. He goes on and he gets down to the end and he says, and by the way, this quarreling is about words. It has no value. Ruins those who listen to it. And he gets to verse 16 and he says, avoid godless chatter. Why? I want you to notice what was coming. He said, Timothy, in the last days, it's going to be terrible. And they are. And he begins to describe why they're terrible. And notice the word that stands out there. It's about love. But it's about love that's misguided. I mean, ultimately, what's wrong with the world is they love the wrong thing. Look at the things up here. They're going to be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. <clears throat> without love, which is natural affection. They're not going to be lovers of the good. They're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he says, that's the problem. And that's the nonsense we've got to reject. That's why our love for God becomes so very, very important. <clears throat> and then notice the last line. Have nothing to do with such people. Now, he's not saying here that you point them out and you go, boy, you know. He's simply saying people that are spouting nonsense, just don't engage them. Don't engage them. And I've had to stop doing that. I mean, there are people that occasionally I will encounter online through social media, and the next thing I know, they're shooting me just article after article, message after message. I mean, boom, 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 just bombarding me. Yeah. Pete, you're exactly right. And I have to at some point in time go, I just don't have time for this. And that's what Paul is trying to say to Timothy. But it's the last thing that he says that's so, I think, profound. He says, recommit to the Word of God. I think sometimes we miss this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is a beautiful passage how that all Scripture is God-breathed, is inspired by God. It's, it equips us for everything we need to do as Christians. And I suspect that Timothy had heard Paul say this a million times. Every time he went into a synagogue and he'd quote from the Old Testament Scriptures, he would, he would quote perhaps from some of the earliest writings of the New Testament. You know, all Scripture is God-breathed and it equips us and then what happens is, this is the end of chapter 3, and we don't notice what he goes straight into in chapter 4. Because he follows this profound statement with a charge. He says, listen, I want to charge you before the living God and before Jesus the Messiah. And then he says to Timothy, he says, preach the word. 
I mean, you can hear the passion. As he says, Timothy, if you just remember anything, remember this. This is what I'm charging you before God. Keep preaching the word. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is where it's found. It's right here. One of the things I love about Eastern European missions, and, and one of my good friends works with that particular program, is they try to put Bibles in the hands of people over in Europe. Eastern Europe, former, former communist Iron Curtain countries. And one of the things that's fascinating is that the Bibles that they put over there can't have anything in it except the Scriptures themselves. You see, the problem is when we start adding to the Word. And I appreciate what people are trying to do. I really do. They're like, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to point out maybe a handful of Scriptures they need to focus on. And I get that. But here's the problem with that. If Les Chapman tries to pick out 12 important texts you need to focus on, he's going to miss some. I'm, I, there are going to be passages that, that I simply haven't paid attention to, that God's going, really, you're going to leave out that one? And that's what we notoriously do as human beings. And what God instead wants us to realize is it's all of his word that's important. Every last bit of it. And one of the things I love about Eastern European missions is they add nothing to it. I mean, the translations they pass out is like ivory soap. Except it's not 99.9% .9 pure, it's 100% pure. And they simply trust that the Word of God is going to do what God's Word has always done. And that is, it leads people back to God. And so when he said, listen, you be grounded in the Word. You preach the Word. Stay in the Word. He knew that's where the difference is going to be made. And brothers and sisters, let me plead with you. As we get ready for 2022, we need to spend time here. And by the way, you can't do that just 30 minutes on Sunday morning. It won't work. Satan is pounding you every day as long as you're awake with what the world has to offer. You've got to counteract that with God's word, God's view, God's worldview. That's why we have classes on Sunday morning. We have small groups on Sunday night. We have Wednesday night offerings. We have discipleship groups that meet. I mean, get as involved as you can in letting the word of God become a part of who you are. Paul ends with a fascinating statement. He says, do your best, come to me quickly. He knows. He's not bound for this old world long. And then as an older person, I appreciate especially what he says here a couple of verses later. He says, do your best, by the way, to get here before winter. In fact, in between these two verses, he says, by the way, at Carpus, I left my coat there. Left my coat in, Car uh, in Corinth with Carpus. If you don't mind, go by and get my coat. And of course, I read that and I think, wow, he's cold. And I thought, surely somebody in Rome would take him a coat. And I suspect everybody in Rome was scared to death of Nero. And Paul's begging Timothy, come quickly and bring my coat with you. Did he make it? I wish we knew. History doesn't tell us. And it's one of those questions I'm sure we'll have an eternity to ask and maybe finally get an answer. 
But what I do know is that Paul wanted this young man to be prepared to move on without him in the world. And then to train others that when he moved on, they would be ready to continue the word. And by the way, I know they've been successful. Because 2,000 years later, the word of God is still being preached. And people are still believing it. And they're choosing to become disciples of Jesus the Messiah. And if today you're not a disciple of Jesus the Messiah, I don't know of any movement you can make better in the world than to put your faith in him, be buried with him in baptism, and begin a journey with him. We would like to help you on that. And if we can't, let us know right now as we stand up.